you ought to be excited to know that you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory because of the accomplishment of Christ and the cross. In fact, this accomplishment has given you a brand new wardrobe, a wardrobe to wage victorious spiritual warfare. And the first piece of armor that's a part of your wardrobe is the belt of truth. Truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. And it is the stabilizing piece of armor, which is why it's the first piece. In the same way that we wear belts to stabilize our clothing and to keep things intact, God has given us truth as the stabilizing force in our lives because, you see, our enemy only knows how to function in lies. And that is why truth must be foundational for everything else. All the other pieces of armor hang on this belt called truth. And there's never been a time when this belt has been needed more. We live in a day of relativism. We live in a day where absolute truth has been disregarded and thrown out of the window. But there are two answers to every question. God's answer and everybody else's. And everybody else is wrong. So no matter what you're facing, return to God's perspective on the matter, which is truth, because it will then be the basis of you addressing anything else that comes to face you and attack you, seeking to defeat you, because truth alone is the basis of your victory. Amen. If you like that, I want to invite you to be here on Monday nights. That's the series that we're going through on spiritual warfare that Tony Evans is leading. Now, I don't know whose idea it was to make me follow Tony Evans tonight, but I'll accept it. I'll take it. I hope you're not accept, expecting Tony Evans, but I'm going to give you my best. It's been a, several weeks since I've had the chance to preach, so I'm grateful for the opportunity tonight. And I just want to tell you, after missing a few weeks, there's no substitute for being with the church. I love you all. We've missed you all dearly. We thank you for all your prayers. Everybody's doing great. And it has not been the same not being with the church. Nobody will convince me that it's just as good not being here in person. It's not. It is not as good not being here in person. It's great to be with you tonight. And we're continuing our series called The Big Picture. It's on spiritual warfare. And we're learning to fight the battles that Satan throws at us in the world. And I was commissioned by Pastor Brian about a month and a half ago to come up with a couple of messages that would deal with how Satan attacks us, the tools of the enemy, as it were. And I didn't want to just list them all off because there's a big list. There's a lot of things Satan does to attack us. He accuses us. He tempts us. He comes to us and tries to get us to do things we know we shouldn't do, to believe things we know that we shouldn't believe. And we will deal with some of those things probably next week. But I wanted to sort of bring a big picture overview of something that I'm convinced that Satan is doing in the world. It's something I'm convinced that he's doing in the world. I think he's been doing it for a long time. I think it's something that the biblical writers dealt with in the day of Jesus and directly after Jesus' life. And I believe that in our culture in America today, this is something that he is doing in a very severe and drastic manner. I want to talk to you tonight about the idea of the counterfeit. I want to talk to you tonight about the idea of the counterfeit. Has anybody ever attempted to use a counterfeit bill? Anybody ever had a counterfeit bill? 
That's why I don't carry cash. I pay cards, so I ain't got to worry about that. But if you've ever tried to pass off a counterfeit, it's pretty embarrassing because you're actually a criminal and you didn't even realize it. Not a good situation to be in. I want to talk to you tonight about the idea of the counterfeit, and I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to see how Paul dealt with this. Because my argument tonight is that Satan is at work in the world not only to tempt you to do bad, and to not only to accuse you when you have done bad to make you feel guilty and to drive you away from the presence of God, I'm going to argue tonight that Satan is in the business of creating counterfeits of our faith and that he's propagating those all over the world in every culture in the world and his goal is to deceive and to confuse people. This is something that Paul dealt with in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He dealt with some people. They called themselves apostles. They called themselves followers of Jesus. But the reality is that that's not really who they were. They came with some different ideas, but on the outside, they looked good. On the outside, they sort of had it all together, and they were deceiving Christian people. And look what Paul says here in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. He said, I will keep doing what I'm doing to cut the ground out from under my enemies. Church, let's address something right now. Too many Christians live in this passive middle ground. And as the temperature of the culture rises around us, as the pressure of our culture begins to intensify, I'm hearing more and more often Christians say something that sounds like this. They'll say, well, you know, Ryan, there's a lot of problems on both sides. And I'm not perfect. And most Christians I know aren't perfect. And those people over there aren't perfect either. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to not choose sides. I'm not going to get involved in arguments. I'm not going to be in any conflict, and I'm just going to try to live my life and not make anybody upset with me. And they live in this middle ground, and here's why I believe we do it. I don't believe we do it because we're bad people. I believe we do it because we have somehow believed a counterfeit gospel that teaches that Jesus was meek and kind of scared and sort of shied away from confrontation, and that Christians should therefore follow in that example. Somebody should have made Paul aware that good Christian boys and girls don't try to cut the ground out from under their enemies. Somebody should have reminded Paul that good Christians, that faithful Christians, that passionate Christians are to be quiet and to be meek and to settle into the background and not take sides and not offend anybody. You see, Paul lived in a world where there were people who were attempting to deceive the culture as the gospel of Jesus Christ went out. Let me ask you today, Eastland, do we believe that there are people in our culture who are trying to deceive our culture while we try to do the work of the ministry? So let me encourage you to do something. Stop being afraid of offending people. Stop being afraid of being wrong. And let's start working to cut the ground out from under these fools who would come in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, that's severe. That sounds confrontational. That sounds aggressive. I don't think Christians should be aggressive. Somebody should have told Paul. Because when people came against his ministry, he got aggressive. He said, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing to show you that these people are not the real deal. That this gospel they're bringing is not the real deal. It's a counterfeit. It's false. It's garbage. Paul was passionate 
about going directly at the falsehood of his day. He challenged the cultures in which he preached the gospel. He did not try to collaborate with the culture. He did not try to assimilate with the culture. Church, we are not here to make people happy, and we are not here to make people like us, and we are not here to get along with everybody. And church, I would even go so far as to say that if that defines your Christianity, your Christianity does not match up with Christ because Christ said they hated me, they're going to hate you. We say what Jesus said, they'll hate us. We do what Jesus did, they'll hate us. We say, but Jesus was loving. Why would they hate somebody who's loving? They would hate somebody who's loving because church, sometimes the most loving thing is to look falsehood in the face and say, go back to Hades where you belong. Not to a person, but to the falsehood. We love the person. We love our enemies. And because we love our enemies, that our enemies propagate. And we reach out to them and we seek after their good. But we do not marginalize the truth in order to put ourselves on equal footing. Paul said these people are not on equal footing with us. The apostles that were giving their lives to spread the gospel to lost people, Paul said, hey, I will not be put in the same category as these people. Say, I don't want to make other people mad who are Christians. I just want to get along with everybody. Listen, if they aren't preaching the same gospel that we believe, Paul said, let them be cut off. Say, man, I'm not advocating aggression for the sake of aggression. All right, if you've got an anger problem, I'm not telling you to go out there and start swinging. What I'm telling you is that when falsehood knocks on your door and you answer it, defend your home. When it knocks on the door of the church, we defend the church. When it comes after my children, I will defend my children and I will not be nice about it and I won't be quiet about it. And we do so lovingly because we love God and we love people. And we love people by showing them the truth. Amen? That wasn't even my message. It was a message, wasn't the message. He said, these people, in verse 13, are false apostles. They're deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. They're masquerading as apostles of Christ. And he said, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He said, these people are masquerading as false apostles, and they do that because they serve Satan, who masquerades as an angel of light. He said, it's not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. He's making the argument that sometimes Satan comes to tempt us. Anybody ever been tempted to sin, tempted by Satan or by a demon to sin? You get this idea in your head, you're like, where did that come from? You're tempted by darkness. That doesn't look like an angel of light. Angels of light don't come to us and say, hey, cheat on your spouse. Hey, destroy your family. Sometimes we get tempted by darkness to do evil things that are obviously evil. And then when we do those things, then the darkness will accuse us of what we did and tell us how terrible we are and tell us that Jesus could never love terrible people like us. Sometimes that's what Satan does. But sometimes, Paul said, Satan has a different trick up his sleeve. Sometimes that... Instead of coming with a temptation, he comes with something that almost looks like the real thing. And he said, hey, see this? This is just as good. You want this. This is good for you. In 1940, Hitler's Nazi Germany was pushing its way through Europe without much resistance. But when they got to England, what they found was is that England fought back. They resisted them. It was a lot of battle, a lot of bloodshed. And when England fought back, Germany retreated for a little while. 
And they decided to come up with a different strategy for how to attack England, because England had a pretty good military, and England was pretty well suited to defend themselves. So they decided, in Nazi Germany, to employ some of the Jewish people that they had taken captive, and they launched an operation called Operation Bernhard, B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D. They launched this operation called Operation Bernhard, and this is really interesting. The idea is that instead of attacking England with their military, they would take their best and brightest people, and they would forge their currency in England. They got their smartest people to create counterfeit money that looked and felt almost exactly like the currency that was being used in England at the time. When currency is being created, now of course it's paper money and that's what it was in the 40s too. Originally when counterfeits got made, what they would do is, is they would take impure metals and mix them in with the pure metals. So if you were using gold coins in your currency, they would take a little bit of gold and mix it with a little bit of copper. And that's how they would make the counterfeit money. I think Satan works like that too, don't you? Take a little bit of truth, a little bit of lie, mix it together and say, look, it's just as valuable. But when paper money was created, it got a little bit harder to counterfeit it because instead of it being a physical process, now it had to be one by which they were matching up all the physical characteristics of this paper money, but they did it. Nazi Germany created, I guess they were, back in the day before they moved to euros, they were using pounds is what they called them. They created pounds, they created currency that looked exactly like what they used in England. And the idea was, is that they were going to fly planes over Great Britain and they were going to drop millions of pounds of English currency into the English economy. Now let me ask you this. If you woke up tomorrow morning to the sound of a low-flying plane, you walked out onto your front yard and saw $100 bills raining from the sky, how many of you would be happy about what was happening? Somebody, three of you, really? All right, we're going to do an altar call real quick and y'all are going to repent because y'all are lying. If there's a plane dropping money in your yard, that's a good day. That's a good day in the Jackson household, all right? The idea was that they were going to drop billions of British pounds into the major cities in Great Britain and that all the people were going to be really excited and distracted. And in their distraction, as they would gather up this money and begin to try to use it, the idea was that instead of attacking Britain's military, they would simply wreck their economy. And if they could wreck their economy, they could no longer produce weapons of war that they needed to defend themselves. And the idea was that with this counterfeit currency, Nazi Germany could cause Great Britain to literally eat itself and collapse in on itself while they just stood back and watched. Now, this did not go off like they expected. Because of some infighting, instead of doing this, they decided instead to use all this counterfeit money to fund their own operations. They eventually just did bomb everything in sight in Great Britain. But the idea is the same. I would submit to you today that Satan, when he attacks us through temptation and accusation, he often fails. He often fails because we know his tricks. Some of us have been tempted to sin, and we have successfully been able to push back the temptation. Have you won a battle recently? Anybody been tempted and you've been able to say, no, I'm not going to go there? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look at that thing. I'm not going to buy that thing. I'm not going to get into that relationship. I'm not going to be alone with this person. I'm not going to get back into that same situation I was in. Sometimes, I pray often, Christians win that battle of temptation. I think what happens is that oftentimes Satan will step back and say, okay, all right. 
We got some Christians who are ready to fight the battles. I'm going to drop some counterfeit into their world and see if I can wreck their economy. Church, I would make the argument that in the last 50 to 60 years in American culture, Satan has dropped counterfeit Christianity into our culture. And the counterfeit Christianity has so watered down what's real, it's no longer accepted or acceptable. It has wrecked it from the inside. And today, the church, which saw a massive resurgence and growth in the 1800s in the Great Awakening, not even 200 years later, has lost its power, it's lost its salt, it's lost its effectiveness in our culture. And church, we look around and we see our influence beginning to shrink. You see it? And it is imperative right now that we recognize what's happening and we fight back. I want to talk about some of these counterfeits that I see in our world. I want to talk to you about the counterfeit gospel. Counterfeit gospel. Remember, a counterfeit is something that looks and feels almost exactly like the original, but it is not the original. It is not worth anything. It is valueless. There is a counterfeit gospel in our world today. In fact, there's more than one. There's one today that I'll talk about. There's one today that I'll talk about that's very, very popular. It's called the social gospel. The social gospel teaches that because Jesus loved people and healed people and served people when he was here, that as Christians, it is our primary duty as Christians to love people, serve people, and meet their social needs. And meet their social needs. Now, does anybody think that that sounds like a bad idea? Love people, serve people, meet their needs socially. It sounds good, doesn't it? It's sort of like if somebody was dropping $100 bills on your front yard. Man, this looks good. This is good. Got a lot of money now. Social gospel, this sounds good. We should love people. We should be meeting needs. We should be meeting people where we are. We should be seeking reconciliation with people groups that we have had conflict with in the past. But here's the problem with it. When we make the gospel about racial and social reconciliation, when we take our eye off of the true prize of the gospel, which is justification and salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we make it about something that is earthly in nature, like racial identity and reconciliation, what we are doing is, is we are telling Jesus that the cross is secondary to something we do. When we make the gospel about meeting needs on this earth, we are telling people that their earthly needs are more important than their spiritual needs. In fact, I would make the argument that if the church in America were able to somehow achieve social and racial reconciliation that we hear about every day when we turn the TV on and every day when we scroll through social media, if we were able to achieve that, and have peace and racial and social harmony on earth, yet we fail in our mission to get people the gospel that tells them that you are a sinner, you are separated from God, you are on your way to hell, separated from Jesus, but because God loved you and sent Jesus to die for you, you now have the opportunity to repent of your sins, turn away from the old life, be reconciled to God, be made new in Christ Jesus, and live in the fullness of life here on earth and have eternity in heaven when you die. If we miss that because we're so focused on something earthly like reconciliation culturally, we failed. For us to achieve some sort of social or cultural reconciliation, if we continue to fail at the Great Commission, is a failure of the Great Commission. 
The question we should be asking in the church today is not are we achieving cultural or social acceptance or reconciliation. The question is are we achieving what Jesus told us to achieve in Matthew 28 when he said you go And Jesus didn't tell us to go and make reconciliation with all nations. He said, go and preach the gospel to all nations. He said, teach them what I taught you. Baptize them. That's the goal of the gospel. And when somebody gives you a counterfeit gospel and said, well, hey, listen, you know, any gospel that doesn't involve social justice is not really the gospel, you tell them, find me a scripture, a verse, and a chapter. You show that to me and I'll believe it. It is a counterfeit gospel, and there are many other, but that's just one. There are gospels today that tell you that it's always God's will for you to be healed and to be healthy and to be wealthy. That's a counterfeit gospel. It sounds good. It's like $100 bills raining on your front yard. Man, it sounds good. I'd love to be healthy and wealthy, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. There are gospels today that will tell you That you don't have to believe all the truth claims of the Bible. You can simply be a good and spiritual person and that God will be pleased with you. It sounds good, but it's not the gospel. In fact, it's a lie. There are counterfeit churches today. We have counterfeit gospel. We also have counterfeit church. We have counterfeit church. I'm going to say this, and I hope I don't offend anybody. Online church is counterfeit church. Online church is not church. The definition of the word church is a called out assembly. Called out of where? Your home. When Jesus said, I'm going to plant my church, I'm going to establish my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, what he was saying was, I'm going to call out an assembly of people. And this assembly of people is going to be called out from where they are, and they're going to be called to assemble together. And as they assemble together, they will receive my power, they will do my work, and they will not fail. That's what church is. Church online is not just as good. It is a counterfeit church. Churches that will teach you anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is a counterfeit church. There are churches in the world today that are so focused on your experience and your feelings that they neglect your soul. That is a counterfeit church. If you find one, number one, don't go to it. Number two, don't be afraid to call it out. Call it what it is. Counterfeit churches. Number three, there's counterfeit connection. We live in a culture of counterfeit connection. If you've ever been in an unhealthy relationship, if you've ever been in an abusive relationship, a toxic relationship, if you've ever been in a relationship that was centered around sin, you understand that there can be connection, but that connection may not be healthy, and it may not be Christian. It may not be good for you. There are counterfeit connections. We live in an age of counterfeit connection. We are more connected than ever, in theory. As we scroll our Facebook feeds and our Twitter feeds, We used to scroll our parlor feeds. We can't do that anymore. We tell ourselves we're connected. I can see what everybody's doing. I'm connected. But there's a difference, church, between being connected and simply watching from a distance, which is really what that is. It is a counterfeit connection, and we need not live in it. Is social media evil? It's not evil. I would argue it's headed that direction real quick. But it's not a real connection. We are called out people. We live in a culture 
of counterfeit faith. And church, this one is incredibly important. Counterfeit faith. There are people who look like Christians, sound like Christians, and act like Christians, who believe that they're Christians, who have a counterfeit faith. You say, how do you know that? I know that because Jesus said that. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus said it like this. He said, many are going to say to me on that day, that final day of judgment, when we face Jesus and we have to give an account for our life and for the relationship that we had or didn't have with him. Jesus said, many are going to say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? And Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, away from me, you evildoers. There are people, church who have a counterfeit faith, it looks real, it feels real, it smells real, it's almost indistinguishable from true saving faith, but it's based on something other than Jesus. Maybe it's based on a prayer that we once prayed. Maybe it's based on the fact that we once got baptized. Maybe our faith is based on a preacher telling us that we were saved and we believed it. Maybe our faith is based on the idea that because we go to church, God's pleased with us. Maybe our faith is based on this idea that because I'm a good person, I've got faith in God, that God's going to be happy with me. Church, there are many people in America that call themselves Christians that I believe the Bible is very clear about. It looks the part. It sounds the part. They're prophesying, casting out demons. Most of us haven't done that stuff in this room. And Jesus said, yet that won't even get you into heaven. The faith that saves, the true faith, not the counterfeit faith, is the faith that says, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I've got nothing to bring to the table, Jesus is my only hope, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to chase after him because he's the all I've got. He's the only one who can save. It's all about him. Ask yourself tonight, are you, are you putting your faith in anything that you've done? Are you putting your faith in anything that you remembered or wrote down, in any action? Because if you are, your faith is in something that won't save you. You're carrying counterfeit currency. It's a counterfeit. We need Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus and Jesus alone. I want to talk about the dangers of counterfeit. The dangers of the counterfeit. We've given some examples of it. I want to talk about why it's so dangerous. Because, now I know tonight probably nobody would say this, but in general, in general, if you're talking to somebody who's living a good moral life, maybe you know somebody like this. They go to church. They live a good moral life. They're not bad people as we define bad people. But you, you sort of just have always wondered about their faith. Anybody, you know anybody like that? Like, man, they, they, they mostly look Christian. They mostly act Christian. They mostly talk Christian. They go to church. But well, when you talk to them and they tell you about their life and about the way they think and what they care about, deep down you're like, hmm, I don't know. Something doesn't seem right here. This doesn't seem like a true saving faith they've got. Anybody know anybody like that? Maybe you got people in your life like that. There's a temptation with people like that to just say, well, Okay, I'm not the judge. I can't know their heart. I don't want to make them upset. I don't want to be the one to tell them they're not saved. Who am I to do that? So we sort of just shy away from it and go, well, you know, no harm, no foul. They're good people. Hopefully they'll get it worked out with God. And we sort of just don't address it because it's not like they're terrible people. It's not like they're out doing drugs, not like they're out killing people, right? So we're sort of like, oh, hey, they're okay. They're, they're good enough people. So we sort of just dismiss it as if it's not really dangerous that they could be carrying a counterfeit faith or counterfeit currency in their lives. So I want to talk tonight about the dangers of the counterfeit. And I want you to think about 
what happens when a bunch of counterfeit currency comes into an economy. So Germany's going to drop this money into the British economy. All these people are going to be excited. They're going to try to start using this money. Here's why it's so dangerous. Number one, if you're carrying around counterfeit money, all right, if you've got a counterfeit $100 bill in your wallet and you try to pay with it somewhere and they catch you, you have been deceived. One of the dangers of counterfeit is individual deception. You are carrying something that does not have the power that you think it has. You think you've got something valuable, but in reality, not only is it invaluable, it's actually illegal. You see, the accountability for the counterfeiter does not fall on the person who made the counterfeit money because that person's really, really hard to track down. The accountability for the counterfeit falls on the person who tries to pass it off to somebody else. You understand? And you may say, well, listen, I didn't even know that what I had was fake. If I'd known it was fake, I never would have used it. That's why it's so dangerous. There are people who are walking around with a Christianity that they are so convinced is real, they're going to bank their life on it and try to pay with it. They're going to stand before Jesus one day and say, here it is. It's real. And he's going to look at it and he's going to say, no, it's not. And that's a scary proposition. Because Jesus in that moment is not going to give a free pass because we just didn't know. Jesus is going to remind us that we had a lifetime, however long that is, to identify the counterfeit and get rid of it. The danger of packing around a counterfeit is that you don't have the power that you think you have. You don't have the purchasing power you think you have, and you're actually carrying around something that's dangerous and illegal, and you're not even aware of it. You are deceived. Individuals who are carrying this are deceived. Church, if you've ever believed yourself to be a Christian and yet you go through a difficult time, and you're like, man, that faith I thought I had, it's not real. You know what I'm talking about. I remember when I went through a difficult time as a young man, I'd believed my whole life that I was saved because I'd prayed the prayer, I'd been baptized, I'd gone to church, I did all the right things, I didn't do all the bad things, I was packing around counterfeit faith, but I was so convinced it was real, and it wasn't until I needed to lean on God in my pain that I realized I didn't have anything real. Anybody ever been there? You're like, man, I, what I thought I had, I don't have. The power that I thought I had, I don't have. This money I've been packing around is counterfeit. It's fake. I figured out when I tried to pay with it and say, God, all right, here I am. My life is messed up. I need you, God. And God goes, I don't know you. That's a pretty lonely feeling. Church, that's dangerous. I pray you're not living in that. And I pray that if you know somebody who's living in that, that you love them enough to help them. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, its way leads to death. Church, everybody out there making bad decisions, they're not making them because they think they're bad decisions. They think they're making good decisions. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to be an idiot today. Nobody's doing that. These people packing around counterfeit Christianity, believing Satan's lies, are doing so because they are convinced that they're true. And they'll fight you on it. And for us to step back and say, well, I don't want to make anybody upset. I don't want to fight. If you want to carry around your counterfeit money, that's none of my business. It is our business because God told us it's our business. He said we got to go to him. we got to love him. we got to tell him the truth. Second danger is well-intentioned ignorance. When you carry around a counterfeit, not only are you ignorant 
of the lie that you have that is damaging to you, the problem is that when we carry around a counterfeit, we run the risk of giving it to somebody else who doesn't know any better. You with me? See, this is what's so dangerous about the counterfeit church and the counterfeit gospel today. It's not simply that individuals are deceived. It's that deceived individuals with good intentions and what they believe to be good motivations are handing these things out, giving this faith to people, giving them this mode of Christianity that is a counterfeit, and they're telling them that it'll save their souls, and these people are banking their lives on it, and they're going to meet Jesus and finding out, you've been packing a fake. Church, I don't want to be responsible for that. The Bible says that as a teacher, when I get up here on this stage, I am doubly accountable. I am extra accountable for what I teach. Because if I believe a counterfeit and I die with a counterfeit, that's on me. But if I get up here and I propagate a counterfeit and I give you something that's not real and I tell you that this Bible says something that it doesn't say and I lead you down the wrong path, church, I'm accountable for that. And that's a scary thing. We take this stage seriously. We take this church seriously. Because we have a responsibility not only to not be individually deceived, but we are not going to propagate a lie. And if the culture wants to propagate a lie, we'll swim in the opposite direction, even if it costs us something. Amen? All right, third danger. We're almost done. Third danger, and this may be the biggest one, cultural distrust. The danger of a counterfeit is cultural distrust. Think about this. You've been somewhere... You got any cash-only people in the room? You don't really like to use a card. You like to carry cash. You like to use cash. Brandon, I knew you were going to raise your hand. I love you, brother. You ever been going through, like, the Captain D's drive-thru, and you want to pay with cash, and you go to hand them the hundred, and it's real. Not counterfeit. It's real. Real money. hundred bucks. And they go, can't take it. You ever been there? And you say, well, why can't you take it? It's real money. And they say, it's too big. What do you mean it's too big? I thought you wanted money. That's a lot of money. Like, why don't you take the money? It's valuable. It's real. And we can't take that. It's too big. We don't take bills that big. Have you ever wondered why they do that? The reason many businesses today will not take large bills in cash is because they have been burned with counterfeits. Somebody has come to them and they've paid them with a $100 bill. They've accepted it. They didn't recognize it was counterfeit until a few days later when they went to take that money to the bank. And the bank hands it back to him and says, this isn't real, and you're a criminal, by the way, for trying to use counterfeit money. So the business says, all right, well, we're not going to get burned anymore, so next time somebody tries to pass off a $100 bill, we're just not going to take it. You can just take your business elsewhere. You can pay something else. Church, they do that because they no longer trust the currency because they've been burned by a counterfeit. One of the dangers in our world today is that we carry the truth in our pocket. When we open our Bible, we've got the Word of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We've got the Word of God that will change somebody's life. Your story, your testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ will change the lives of the people around you. We agree with it? More valuable than any $100 bill anybody could ever have. Now, why in the world is it that we have all of this ammunition, we've got all this money, so to speak, in our pocket, and yet sometimes it feels like the church just won't, or the world won't even accept it. It's like you try to give it to them, and you're like, listen, Jesus has changed my life. Jesus can change everything about your life. Jesus can save you. He can forgive you. He can transform you. He can rescue you. And they just look at you and go, hmm, I can't accept that. 
Why in the world can't you accept that? They can't accept it because they don't trust it. You know why they don't trust it? Because they got burned by somebody who made them some false promises. They have been burned by people who have been propagating counterfeit currency and at some point in the past they took it and they said, yeah, I'll believe that, I'll receive that, I'll accept that. And they believed a lie about God and because they believed a lie about God, they were not in a real relationship with God. They were living a counterfeit Christianity and then when they needed God and they needed the church and all they had was a counterfeit, they realized in their darkest moment they had nothing and they said, I'll never get burned like that again. And we try to come to them with the truth, and they say, no, we don't accept that. Not going to receive that. Not going to hear that. The danger that we live in is that we as the church have accepted for so long counterfeits that look and sound and feel and act like us, but are not truly Christians. But because we have allowed it to exist, now the culture will no longer accept any truth claims. And they now want to say, hey, we don't need any truth. Anything can be true. You're a man, you can be a woman too. You're a woman, you can be a man. Doesn't matter. Don't want your baby, you can kill your baby. Doesn't matter. Who cares about truth? We live in a culture that will no longer receive truth claims, which is why we feel so hopeless against what's coming. It's why when we turn on the news, we get fearful because sometimes it seems like even though we know the truth and the truth has set us free and we know that what we're carrying is the real thing, it seems like when we try to take it out there into the world, it's like nobody will even receive it. It's like Jesus has changed everything about my life and when I tell somebody about it, they just nod their head and smile and say, hey, thanks, good, good deal. But there's an answer. We can fight back against it. We can turn the tide and we do that in two ways. Number one, Number one, we got to learn to spot it. Anybody ever worked in retail? Anybody ever worked the cash register? Anybody ever using those little black pens that you mark the bills with? I worked retail for a long time. I got to spot a lot of counterfeit. And most of it I couldn't tell when I grabbed it and took hold of it. Felt the same, looked the same. I probably smelled the same. I didn't make a habit of smelling the cash when I was in retail. But when you mark it with the pen, you could spot it because the color would be too dark. And you say, okay, that's counterfeit money. You learn to spot the counterfeit by knowing the truth. Okay? Unfortunately, there is no pen that we can mark a false gospel with and go, oh, it's too dark. It's counterfeit. When we go to a church and we see what they're about and we hear what they're about, there's no way to mark it and go, oh, it's not real. It's counterfeit. The only way that we can spot the counterfeit is to do it the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way is to hold it up to the light and to look at it and to decide, do the markings on this bill match up with the truth? And the only way to make that match, the only way to make that comparison, church, listen, this is so important. Number one, we spot the counterfeit because we got to know the truth. We have to know the truth. The only way to spot a fake $100 bill is to know exactly what a $100 bill actually looks like to know it intimately, to know the details, to know what it feels like, to know the ins and the out, to recognize all the specific markings. And that way, when you see a counterfeit, you go, wait, that doesn't look right. This isn't real. Too many Christians can't spot the counterfeit because they don't know what the real one looks like. Too many Christians can't identify the false because we have put too little effort into knowing the truth. All right? Ephesians 6.14, Paul said it like this, Stand firm 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The idea behind that is that truth would be the thing that holds everything in our life together. The Roman soldier had a belt that went around his waist and up his shoulder. And that belt not only kept his clothes on, which is really important, but it also made sure that his sword of the Spirit had somewhere to go. It made sure that his shield of faith had something to rest on. It made sure that he was prepared. It made sure that when he was ready to gird his loins and pull up his long robe and tuck it in, that he had something to tuck it into. You see, the belt of truth represents this idea that truth from God is so important to me that every decision I make will be based on it. And when something comes in front of me that doesn't look or sound quite right, I know the truth well enough that I can spot it and I can get rid of it. Church, there are people today in the world that call themselves Christians. They don't realize they've got a counterfeit. And they're suffering and they're hurting. And they don't know why. They're trying to pay with a fake bill. It ain't working for them. And they can't figure out what the problem is. Maybe that's you tonight. I want to encourage and implore Eastland Life Church and anybody online hearing my voice tonight. If we should be known for anything, number one, it should be love. Number two, we should know our word and why we believe it. The idea that we have banked our life on the person and work of Jesus Christ and yet we don't pursue biblical truth and knowledge to defend ourselves with, no wonder we've got so much counterfeit running around in the world. We don't know what the truth looks like. And we dedicate so many hours to hobbies. It is so important to make sure that our kids know how to dribble a basketball, do a backflip, make good grades. And we train them and we spend money and we spend time making sure that we build them up to do these things that in the end, what are they good for? And yet there sits the Word of God on our shelves dusty or the app on our phones unopened in days or weeks and we just think, yeah, that's fine. That's normal. If there's anything as a father I should train my children on is to know what the truth looks like so that whenever a counterfeit comes into their life and says, hey, Toby, you can believe this because it's true, he'll say, no, I know the truth because my daddy taught me the truth and I recognize truth and that ain't truth. You want to stem the tide in our culture? You want to turn this thing around and see revival happen? The church has got to know who God is, know what his word says, and when we spot the counterfeit, we say, hey, everybody, this is a lie. This is a falsehood. Throw it out. And if the culture says, no, we're not going to throw that out, then we say, all right. We can't make somebody believe what we believe, but we can sure show them why we believe what we believe. The problem is, is that as we sit here tonight, many of us can't answer that question. Don't know why I believe what I believe. Is what I got real? I hope so. Church, hoping ain't good enough. We can know. We can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. We fight back, number one, by spotting the counterfeit. We do that by knowing the truth. Number two, we destroy the counterfeit. This is how we win. We destroy the counterfeit by refusing to accept it. We spot the counterfeit by knowing the truth, and then we destroy the counterfeit by refusing to accept it. In 1940, if Nazi Germany had dropped all those pounds, all those 
dollar bills into Great Britain. There's only one way Great Britain could have fought back against that. You know what that is? If the leadership of the country saw what was happening and said, hey, everybody, if you got money flying through the air, throw it away. It's not real. If the leadership steps up and says, we won't accept it, we know what it is, we recognize what the enemy's doing, here's the plot, here's the plan, we fight back by spotting it, catching it, and burning it. Throw it away. Get rid of it. Don't let it in your home. Don't put it in your wallet. Don't sit it there next to the real thing because you think it's real. Don't try to pass that thing off because it's not real. This is a tool of the enemy. They're trying to destroy us. That's the only way that that plan would have failed. Church, the way that we can disarm Satan in his goal to counterfeit our faith in this world is that we spot it because we know the truth. And when we spot it, we refuse to accept it. Far too long, far too long has the church stood by while people in authority have propagated lies about who we are and what we believe and who Jesus is and what he wants to do. Too long has the world dictated what goes on within the four walls of the church. Too long have we stood by while the counterfeit grows and people try to use it and we step back and we say, you know what? We don't like it, but what can we do about it? We're just the church. Mm, I, mean, I, I, I can't do nothing about that. And we say, well, we'll just let them do what they want to do, and we'll do what we want to do, and hopefully everything will work out okay. Church, listen. Church, listen. Paul said that those who are counterfeiting, I'm going to keep doing what I do to cut their legs out from under them. It's time we cut Satan's legs out from under him. It's time we identify this thing and say no more. I will not accept it. I will not receive it. That happens in two ways. Number one, the lies that come from out there, we reject them. We don't reject the people out there. We reject the lies out there. You see the difference? Love the people. Invite them to church. Invite them into your homes. Be good to them. Love on them. Teach them the word. The worse they are, the better that is because that means they just need Jesus that much more and you got plenty of Jesus to go around. We love those people, but we do not receive the lies. Here's where I think it's harder. Here's where I think it's most important and here's where we're going to close tonight. Here's where I'm going to lean on you a little bit to be honest with yourself. Sometimes it's easy to spot the counterfeit in the culture. And to say, yeah, those lies out there that are being told, gender theory, critical race theory, all these things that are floating out there in the cultural ether, I recognize that's a lie and I don't receive that and I'm not going to propagate that counterfeit. Sometimes that's easy because it's easy to spot the falsehood in other people, isn't it? What about the counterfeits that are in our wallets, the ones that we've received, that we carry around? What about the false connections in our own homes? with our spouses and with our children? What about the fact that, if we're honest with ourselves, in my own life I got blind spots because knowing the Word, seeking after the Lord, not really a priority for me. What if there's counterfeits in our heart that we've received? And you can know if you've received them because you need not ask any further than what it is you go to when you're hurting when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired. So many of us, we know what's hurting us, and yet we keep going to it. 
So many of us, as we long for connection, keep going back to Facebook hoping it'll scratch the itch. So many of us longing for hope keep turning the news back on hoping the news will be better tomorrow and we come back empty. So many of us seeking after a new life keep coming to church hoping that simply being at the church will somehow make us the church and that things will change because we show up. Maybe your relationship with Jesus has some counterfeit, some copper mixed with the gold, some good with the bad. Church, I believe that if we will go to the Lord and say, God, here's how David did it. David, the psalmist, he wrote and he said, search my heart, O Lord. Tell me if there be any wicked way in me. Sometimes we pack around counterfeit that we don't know is there and we don't know it's hurting us and we need the Lord to sort that out and to show us the truth. The Bible says that when we seek him, because we know the counter, how do we spot the counterfeit? We spot the counterfeit by knowing the truth. We seek him, the Bible says, we find him when we seek him with all our hearts. I wonder if it's time for the church in our culture today to get on our faces and seek God with all our hearts once again. Say, God, I need to know the truth. I need to know where there's falsehood and lies within my own life and within my own home because, church, I am very, very concerned about what's going on out there, and I want us to win the cultural war that's going on out there, but I believe Jesus points right back to us and says we don't win out there until he wins in here. And that's where we can start tonight. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I ask tonight that you would just do your work as only you can do it, God, that your word would speak to us, God, I pray for the person in the room tonight who knows they're not a Christian. They've never made the decision to follow Jesus. God, I pray tonight would be their night. I pray that tonight they would turn in the counterfeit they've been living and receive the true living truth and word from you. Receive your spirit. God, for the person tonight who has believed their faith to be true, They've tried for it to be true, God. They've prayed the prayer. Maybe they've been baptized. They come to church. They're trying to be a good person. They're doing the best they know how to do, but they know deep down, man, I just know that I don't have a relationship with Jesus. God, they're packing around counterfeit currency tonight. They've got a counterfeit faith, and they're so sick of walking around with something that has no power. It looks real. Everybody that they know believes it's real, but deep down they know it's not worth anything. And God, they're sick of that. God, I pray that tonight would be the night that you lay on their heart, that they can turn that thing into you, and you will give them in exchange what is real. God, if there be anybody tonight living with a counterfeit in their life, with falsehood, God, that you would reveal that to us and that we would come before you as your church. And that we would exchange the lie for your truth. The Bible says that when we receive your truth, we'll be set free. We ask for that tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen.